Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Flyers Daily edition for Wednesday, February 16th. Flyers fall in overtime against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've now lost a third straight game, two against Detroit, and then last night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. 34-27, Flyers outshot in the game by the Pens. Uh, the Flyers in the game grabbed an early lead and then promptly gave up the lead just seconds later. And that theme reared its head a little bit later in the game in a slightly varied way. But Claude Giroux opened the scoring 13:47 into the first period on a nice uh, two-on-one play with uh, Cam Atkinson. And then just uh, seconds later, that was at 13:47 at 14:09, the Penguins got on the board when Dominique Simone picked up his third goal of the season. A redirect gets in behind the Flyers' defense and puts it by Carter Hart. So they give up a goal on the next shift. Now, the fourth line was out on the ice for that shift. Connor Bunneman, Isaac Ratcliffe, and Morgan Frost. And then at 16.34 of the first period, on the power play, Sidney Crosby picks up a monumental goal in his career. Not only his 50th goal against the Flyers, but his 500th NHL goal. Simple math tells me, I'm not great at it, that is 10% of the goals he has scored in the NHL have been against the Flyers. He does it in 1,077 games, the 500 goals, and his 77th game against the Philadelphia Flyers. He's been a Flyer killer. That's his 14th of the season. Penguins went to the locker room up 2-1 to one in the game. But just 57 seconds into the second period, Flyers get it tied when Scott Lawton scores an unassisted goal. It goes down as unassisted, but two good plays on the shift uh, by the Scott Lawton line. James Van Riemsdyk goes hard to the net. Travis Konechny's in there banging as well, creates a little mayhem. Lawton finds the puck, puts it in behind Casey DeSmith, ties the game at two. Then at 10.43, an unlikely source is first goal in three years to the day in the NHL, and his first as a flyer, Nick Sealer. But again, it's that same line, Scott Lawton, Travis Konechny, and James Van Riemsdyk really creating havoc out there once again. And they pick up the goal, 3-2 Flyers, JVR, and Travis Konechny pick up the assist. And then at 17.09 of the second period, the Flyers get another goal from another unlikely source. Justin Braun picks up his fourth, and the same line is on the ice. Scott Lawton, James Van Riemsdyk, and Travis Konechny, who were absolutely flying in the game. And they need that line, too, because obviously they're very shorthanded. But that line was really, really buzzing all night. Matter of fact, so much so that in between the second and third period, on our intermission report with uh, Brian Smith and I, I said, if the Flyers, in light of the fact that they gave up that goal after scoring a goal in the first period within like 25 seconds, I said, if the Penguins score in the third period, you come back with the Scott Lawton, James Van Riemsdyk, and Travis Connecting line. Because in the game, those guys were really dictating, playing in the Penguin zone quite a bit. That's the best way to defend 200 feet from your net. And uh, if they weren't out there just prior to the goal being scored and were relatively rested, that needed to be the line that goes on the ice. So let's go to the third period. Flyers up two, heading into the third in Pittsburgh. 12:36. it's the Penguins on the power play. Crosby draws a call on Justin Braun. Jake Gensel picks up the goal. Crosby gets an assist. That makes it 4-3. That's at 12:36 of the period. And then 18 seconds later at 12:54. Again, the fourth line on the ice, Chad Ruedel ties the game, and we have a 4-4 hockey game.
that fourth line was getting hemmed in all night. It's just, I'm not sure why Mike Yo went back to that line in that situation, but it cost him. Now, on the play, it's, it's not just that line's fault, but you want to play in the other end. Nick Sealer got tied up along the right wall on Ruedel's goal, and then Travis Sanheim had to shade over to the right, and that left Connor Bunneman to try and cover two Pittsburgh Penguins, quick pass out from the around the goal line, bang, it's in the back of the net, 4-4 game, head to overtime, Chris Letang wins it, his sixth of the season, 31 seconds in, Penguins get the win, they continue to streak, four straight wins for them, they get the win in Crosby's game where he gets his 500th NHL goal, and it is what it is. I hate to say that, that it is what it is, but I think we're at that point. Um, you know, that that decision really irked me to have that line on the ice, but you know, this Flyers team right now is obviously incredibly depleted. We got news before the game. Rasmus Ristolainen has been put on the injured reserve list. Uh, he has to now be out 10 games. That will be retroactive to the first game he missed, which was the second Detroit game. So he's now missed two. He will miss the entirety of the eight-game homestand. That takes him up to March 10th. And this gets a little complicated with Rasmus Ristolainen. It's an upper body injury. We don't know more than that. But he's going to miss the next eight games. Again, that whole homestand. And like I said, the, the next game that he'll be eligible for will be March 10th against the Florida Panthers. Now, he is another player that teams will be interested in on an expiring contract. have to wonder how much this injury and a trip to the IR could influence any value proposition that he is as a deadline acquisition. So the hits just keep on coming for the Flyers. They're down so many players, and uh, they just weren't able to hang on in Pittsburgh and end up going down in the game. Five to four. So in this episode, I was going to play Mike Yo, and I'm like, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather keep focusing on the submissions that I'm getting from you guys. The great submissions on the question that I've asked is, what is wrong with the Flyers? I've gotten so many in my DMs on Twitter of varying lengths, and I'm going to get to all of them because they're all really good. I have read all of them, and I'm going to attack all of them on episodes here on the podcast over the probably the next couple of weeks, to be honest with you. That's how much I've gotten. If you have one, if you have thoughts on that question, simple, what is wrong with the Flyers? You can go on Twitter, you can DM me. My DMs are open and just write it out. It's cathartic A to write it out. And I love seeing all the different angles of what you guys think is wrong with the Flyers. So let's get to, we're actually going to get to two in this episode. We're going to start with Mike Coleman. Uh, Mike Coleman, M. Coleman 917 on Twitter. Here's what he DM'd me. He said, what's wrong with the Flyers? He said, did you hear the presser with Marty St. Louis? He was just named the coach of the Montreal Canadiens. He's never coached before at the NHL level. He's never coached beyond his son's AAA peewee team at the Quebec tournament. But he is the head coach or interim head coach in Montreal, taking over for Dominic Ducharme. He said, talking about how, Marty St. Louis, talking about how systems force players into doing the same thing and doesn't allow the great players to make reads and make plays. He said, the whole thing reminded me of the last few years of the Flyers. Great organizations and great coaches get the most out of their players by playing to their strengths rather than forcing players to play into their system. Development has obviously been an issue, but this is part of it specifically when it comes to the breakout power play and ozone troubles. And when I first read this a couple hours ago, I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, it 
what Marty St. Louis is, it's great in theory, but every team has to play with structure. Every team has to be on the same page system-wise. But the more I thought about it, the more I think he's right. And while I do believe that teams have to play with structure and they have to play uh, in a system, you know, they've, they've all played every system. It's not like it's rocket science, like some guy coming out like Buddy Ryan did with the 46 defense. It's, they're all basically the same. It's a flow sport. But so there has to be some structure to it and those elements. But the part that he talks about where it doesn't allow great players to make reads and make plays. And he said, great organization coaches get the most out of their players by playing to their strengths rather than forcing players into their system. And that isn't that that was a criticism of Elaine Vino before he got to Philadelphia. But that, that he was a guy that was gonna really value veteran players and ones that fit what he wants to do. And he's not the most amenable coach in, in changing systems. And we've talked about system with in regards to Elaine Vino that he runs the two one two and they didn't have the horses to run the two one two this year, but he wasn't gonna change that because while we call it system, really it's religion for a coach. But I do agree that good coaches put players in a position to succeed by letting them accentuate their strengths and, and they just try and mitigate their weaknesses. So if you're an offensive player that's not a 200-foot player, you're going to put that player in a position to be creative, be offensive, score goals, set up goals, and not force him into trying to be something he's not, like a defensive stalwart, a shutdown guy. Because if you do that, you take away the one thing that he is good at, and you're trying to make him something that he's not good at, which he's probably not going to be that good at anyway. So I do agree with parts of what you're saying, Mike. And, you know, you got to put players in a position to get the most out of them, to get the highest amount of skill set. And this is where roster building comes into it because you have to build a roster that can win. So you have to have players that can be the shutdown guy, but you also have to have creative offensive players that can't be held to the same defensive standards as the guys that are good at that. Because by doing that, you handcuff them. Mike, great one. That's a short one, but that's a great one. And it's a great observation. And you know, I think there's some validity to it when it comes to the breakout, the power play, the ozone troubles. We've talked about how hard it is for this team to score, how hard they have to work to generate scoring chances. All right, let's get to one more in this episode. Louis Caggiano at Louis Cage says, love your podcast and respect your thoughts on all things hockey and flyers. Thank you. Why, thank you. He said, two areas I want to discuss on how to fix the flyers. A is identity. And B is drafting. So he said, starting with drafting, what is the Flyers' identity? Well, what is any team's identity now in the, pre, in the salary cap era? He said, it's difficult to construct a team any one style. You can't just go out and sign and trade players of a certain mold or ilk. Coaching and style of play is also homogenous. There's nuance and slight variations, of course, but teams predominantly all play the same way. Given salary cap constraints, lineups, and also all roughly the same, Sure, the Avalanche compared to the Ottawa Senators roster is drastic, but relatively speaking, it's close compared to the range of lineup in other major sports. NHL teams can afford four to five studs and then need to fill out the rotating cast and get lucky with a budding talent still on an entry-level contract. 
said the salary cap was put into place to curb spending and mitigate owners' risk and stabilize overall revenue. Now, in doing so, it's made organizations feel more cookie cutter. they all trending towards being the same. He said, I'm not sure parity is the right word because there are still good teams and bad teams on the ice, but the organizational structures underpinning them feels very templatized. Great word, templatized. And I think I agree with that. He said, in my opinion, the Flyers are one of the more unique organizations pre-salary cap. They had the bully DNA. They were also aggressive in free agency and in trades. The front brass took care of their players for better or worse. So it was a popular destination. Those aren't attributes that translate in today's roster building and organization construction. The only way to build a contender is through drafting. The Flyers recognized this with Hextall, and while Hexy is an easy scapegoat these days, his strategy wasn't bad. He said the execution was. They stockpiled picks, but were too conservative. Lawton, Konechny, Provorov, Sanheim, all were good picks, but they're only that. They needed one or two more home runs, which admittedly is easy to say now. Well, first of all, real quick, Lawton was a 2012 draft pick. That was Paul Holmgren. Uh, Ron Hextall didn't take over until 2014. But anyway, I'll go on. He said, uh, in closing, the Flyers have an identity crisis, but so do most teams. Winning makes all those, quote, identity questions go away. Only way to dig out of this mess is through drafting. He said, I know most Flyers fans feel burned from our drafting over the past decade, but that doesn't mean it's not the answer still. Again, I'll tell you what, you guys are awesome. Because that's a great, very well thought out analysis of his opinion of what he thinks is wrong with the Flyers. I talk about identity ad nauseum. If I had a nickel for every time I talked about identity in sports, I'd be on the French Riviera on a big yacht right now. Because I think it is so important. I think it means a ton. If you don't know what you are, how do you know how to construct your team? I think having that identity of what we're going to be is very important. I think this team has suffered from a lack of identity. Yeah, the Broad Street Bullies was the identity forever. That had to change. But since then, it's kind of been, do we want big and tough players? Do we want speed and skill? Who are we emulating? You know, that, that's the thing that happens in pro sports. The teams that are winning get emulated, like the Tampa Bay Lightning. But it, it's not easy to emulate the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have Nikita Kucherov. They have Braden Point. They have the best goalie on the planet. They have the best defenseman on the planet. They have depth. They have all those things. So it's not easy to just emulate it like it might be in some other sports. But I think identity, absolutely important. Drafting, I agree with you there as well. You have to, you have to be good at drafting. But it goes beyond drafting. It's about development. You can draft good players in hockey. The differences with hockey and other sports Now, basketball, they draft kids too, but they don't have the minor league system, juniors and all the stuff at the same level as hockey does. Baseball does. You have A, A, AA, and AAA, and and development is enormous. But when you're drafting 18-year-old kids, I mean, a lot of these kids don't shave yet. They don't have hair under their armpits yet. So as good as it, you know, as important as it is to draft good, it's even more important to develop. Because once you get your hands on them, now, I mean, these are huge developmental years, 18, 19, 20, 21. They're huge developmental years for a player's body, just the amount of muscle and how they take care of their body and build it up to play in the best league in the world with men, grown men and man strength. 
And then the skills and everything else that go along with it, hockey IQ. Some players come with high hockey IQ, but physical issues. Others come with great physical stature, but low hockey IQ. So drafting is very important, but development is very important as well. And not just before you get to the NHL. I think one of the things that we've seen is development at the NHL level. And that's where you look at guys like Proveroff Sandheim and Travis Konechny, and it's been up and down. And that's something I think that needs to be looked at as well. But great, great responses. Louie, I appreciate it. That was awesome. Mike, before you, another awesome one as well. And again, if you have one you want to send, I just got one just now from a guy named Josh. I haven't read it yet, but we'll read it tonight, and we'll have some more for you tomorrow. Awesome stuff. How, what is wrong with the Flyers? That's the question I'm asking you to answer. If you have an answer, DM me on Twitter, at Jason Mert, J-A-S-O-N-M-Y-R-T. We'll be back tomorrow. Another brand new episode. We'll preview Flyers caps to the game that opens up an eight-game homestand franchise high. So we'll do that tomorrow. Everybody have a great Wednesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Flyers Daily.